Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. One, two, Welcome in to another brand new episode of Sports Court. And as always, I'd like to thank you for listening, however and wherever you may be listening. iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Chromecast, anywhere that you may be listening to my voice right now, more than likely, we are available for you there on that platform. We are loaded on a Friday, so I don't want to waste too much of your time today. But before we get started, hopefully you're having a great start to your Friday. Looking forward to the weekend ahead. We have hockey NBA basketball, MLB spring training taking place in Arizona and Florida. We also have the NASCAR race that will be taking place in Atlanta this upcoming weekend. So a lot on tap for our viewing consumption, those of us that happens to be sports fans this upcoming weekend. And I also want to say happy St. Patrick's Day to each and every one of you out there that celebrates. And hopefully, and I do use the word hopefully very tightly in this instance, hopefully, your NCAA March Madness bracket is still intact. And if it isn't, we always have next year, right? Hopefully you can go back next year and do a better job than you've done this year. So with all of that out of the way, welcome in. Let's get started. Don't want to waste too much of your time. So let's go back to Wednesday. This is where I want to start today. On Wednesday, I gave you the latest intel about Aaron Rodgers and his decision about what is he going to do For this upcoming NFL season. And that episode that was recorded on Wednesday came out a few hours before Aaron Rodgers went on the Pat McAfee show. We all know that Aaron Rodgers uses the Pat McAfee show pretty much to vent, talk about his future, talk about anything that may come to his mind during that interview session. So Aaron Rodgers, after we wrapped up Sports Court on Wednesday, went on the Pat McAfee show and made it very clear that he intends to play and that he intends to play for the New York Jets in 2023. And here's this quote. Since Friday, I made it clear that my intention was to play and my intention is to play for the New York Jets, end quote. Now, what does that mean? It means that Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers are done. But I think a lot of people have failed to realize that there have been a lot of underlying causes for why we've gotten to this point where we are right now. I've always said, 
And I've been one of the people that has always believed that Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers were heading for this divorce when the Packers decided that they were drafting Jordan Love to be the heir apparent of Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. And the thing that I've always had a hard time understanding when it pertains to Aaron Rodgers was that he was brought into Green Bay to be the heir apparent for Brett Favre. But yet when the Packers decided to bring in Jordan Love to be his heir apparent, then there's where the problems lie. Listen, I said this yesterday to someone that I talked to a lot about sports. The problem with a lot of these franchise great quarterbacks or a lot of these great franchise quarterbacks is that they have a hard time approving of their team selecting their heir apparent. And I've always equated it to what we're seeing in today's NFL. When you think about the Steelers, when you think about the Saints, when you think about the Patriots, there are so many teams throughout the history of the National Football League that has never gotten the quarterback position solidified after an all-time great has decided to step away. What the Packers were doing, in a sense, was preparing for the day in which Aaron Rodgers decided either, I want to go somewhere else and play, or he just decided to retire and walk away from the league altogether. I didn't have a problem with the Packers drafting Jordan Love because in an instant, in an instant, Jordan Love became what Sam Darnold will become out in San Francisco and what Andy Dalton will become in Carolina. Every NFL team needs an insurance policy at the quarterback position, at other key positions as well, but most importantly at the quarterback position because the quarterback is the most important player on your team. And one hit, one bad throw, one bad land on the shoulder, and his career could be altered for forever. And I felt that when the Packers decided to take Jordan Love, it wasn't a slight at Aaron Rodgers. But basically what it was in turn was them saying, you know what, you don't want to be committed to us for the long haul, so we need to bring in an insurance policy just in case you decide to walk away before we think it's time for you to go. Bill Walsh had a saying. And I think Bill Belichick has embodied this in today's time in the NFL. Teams would rather move off of a player a year too early rather than a year too late. And the Green Bay Packers, in turn, I felt for years have been trying to slowly but surely usher Aaron Rodgers out the door. And I don't feel and I still don't to this very minute that we're having this conversation that the selection of Jordan Love was the final nail in the coffin. Now, Aaron Rodgers also said something in his interview with Pat McAfee that I caught, and I agree with in part. Aaron Rodgers said one of the reasons why he wants to move on to the Jets was because he didn't like the way in which the Packers communicated or their lack of communication was with him throughout this whole saga. The thing is, when you have an all-time great at the quarterback position like the Green Bay Packers have happened to have, with Brett Favre and then now with Aaron Rodgers, communication is very vital in maintaining a stable relationship. Because once communication becomes, let me find the right word for it, once communication becomes cut off, then the quarterback feels slighted, and then now you as a team have to go out and do damage control. I agree with Aaron Rodgers because I'll throw it to you this way in a real life analogy. Those of us that are in relationships, those of us that are in friendships, when there is a lack of communication from the other party, what do you usually do? You become frustrated because you feel like 
This person is not communicating to me in a way that makes me feel like that everything that we're going through is okay. And that's something that I've always had a very hard time dealing with. If you have a problem with me or if I'm doing something that you don't like, instead of just going into the corner, pouting and folding your arms and being upset, come to me as a grown up. We talk about it. We rectify the problem and we go on about our business. So Aaron Rodgers has every right to feel slighted that the Green Bay Packers decided to close all channels of communication with him and decide, you know what? We're done. We're moving on. Now, let's talk about Aaron Rodgers when he went into darkness. Here's the quote that he gave to Pat McAfee. When I went into darkness, I was 90% retired and 10% playing, end quote. This was one of those quotes throughout the interview that I kind of stopped and I said to myself, I truly feel or I felt at the time that Aaron Rodgers was not done playing football because now that he fully understands that the Green Bay Packers were ready to move on from him, whenever this deal gets done for him to become a member of the New York Jets. He is going to take everything that has transpired over these past few years, and he's going to use that as the fuel that will help him in his new assignment as the quarterback of the New York Jets. So I truly don't feel that Aaron Rodgers was 90% retired, 10% playing when he went into that darkness period for five days. Here's another quote that he gave to Pat McAfee. When I came out of the darkness, something changed. I got back to my phone after five days off of it. I realized that there had been a bit of a shift, and I heard from multiple people that I trust around the league, players mostly, that there was something or there was some shopping going on, that the Packers were actually interested in moving me, end quote. Bottom line. Before we decide to wash our hands of this situation and move on and talk about something else. When Aaron Rodgers went into darkness and was contemplating his future, Mark Murphy, Brian Gudenkus, and the coaching staff in Green Bay, they were also in a room, but it wasn't dark. It was their war room, their strategy room. And they sat around that table and I believe that they started to discuss what will the future look like if we decide to part ways with Aaron Rodgers and we decide to stick with Jordan Love. That's how you got the comments that Mark Murphy made to the local news station up in Green Bay, in which basically he said, look, we're tired of Aaron Rodgers. We're tired of all his BS. It's time for us to move into a new direction. We always talk about fresh starts on this show. I said it about Derek Carr with the Raiders. I've said it about numerous players and situations before. This feels like a case of both sides needing a fresh start heading into the future. Aaron Rodgers has exhausted every resource in Green Bay. And now Green Bay feels like it's time for them to take back some power in their own organization. And when you think about the Packers, they've done everything to please Aaron Rodgers. And yet he's still unhappy. I'll throw it to you this way in the form of a question. How many of you out there, relationship, friendship, whatever, how many of you have tried to do everything you possibly could within your power to try to keep someone happy? And then that same person every time finds something else to become mad about, something else to become frustrated about, something else to go on social media and blast you about. At some point, 
It would be in your best interest to tell that person, listen, I've done everything I can. It's time for me to move on. Hopefully you have a good life somewhere else because you can't keep affording to have your mental space become penetrated by forces that aren't designed to be there. Aaron Rodgers has to understand something. And if you've been listening to this pod for a long time, I've been one of the few people, if you want to say that I'm in sports media, I've been one of the few people in this sports media stratosphere that has tried to defend Aaron Rodgers because I feel, and I'll say this every time we talk about Aaron Rodgers and every time we talk about certain other athletes or other certain athletes, that a lot of people within sports media doesn't judge Aaron Rodgers based on what he does in the football world. A lot of people judge Aaron Rodgers because of what he likes to do in his personal life. I judge Aaron Rodgers based on what he does on the football field. And basically, this has become a situation that is too far gone for both sides to pick up the pieces and try to make this work. Now, according to Schefter, yesterday afternoon, there was a report that was put out. And according to him, Sources have told him that the Jets and the Packers aren't close to a deal to trade Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets. And what's been holding this deal up is the compensation that the Packers are looking for from the Jets. Now, Aaron Rodgers going on the Pat McAfee show on Wednesday and basically implying that in 2023, when the season kicks off in September, he's going to be in a jet uniform. What does that do for the jets? I'll tell you exactly what it does for them. It puts them in a very tricky situation because for one, the green Bay Packers hold all of the leverage going forward. What do I mean when I say that? If the Packers get on the phone with the jets front office and tell them, listen, we want two first round draft picks for Aaron Rodgers, some other compensation, and you can have it. The Jets now are in a very sticky situation because Aaron Rodgers has made it public knowledge that that's where he wants to play. And if the Jets can't deliver on the Packers compensation package, what does that do for the deal? I'll tell you what it does, and I'll tell you something else. The Green Bay Packers are an organization that is looking for something of significance if they're going to get off of a player of Aaron Rodgers' caliber. Basically, what I'm implying, if there's a better deal that comes up, would they overlook the Jets and go to that other team in their deal? I'll throw that possibility out there and let it just sit on the surface. Basically, what Aaron Rodgers did on Wednesday was pretty much caused the New York Jets to lose any kind of remaining leverage that they may have had before he went on the Pat McAfee show. Now, there's something else that Aaron said in the interview. And I quote, I got to be the starting quarterback of the Packers for 15 years. So, I love you, Green Bay. Thank you. I'm sad, as some of you are, but we'll meet again. He went on to say, I'm debatably the best player in franchise history. I'm in the conversation for sure. Nobody has bled green and gold like me, end quote. That entire conversation, that little piece right there, when I heard it, I said to myself, a lot of people, whether it's Packers fans or fans of another team, they will ask themselves repeatedly, 
after hearing that little line right there. How can Aaron Rodgers truly be the greatest Packer of all time if he was never truly committed to the Packers wholeheartedly these past few years? Now, when we think about great Packers, a lot of people are going to say Aaron Rodgers. A lot of people are going to say Brett Favre. A lot of people are going to say Bart Starr. A lot of people may even throw in their head coach Vince Lombardi. Nobody bled green and gold like Bart Starr. Now, we can go down the list of what Aaron Rodgers has achieved in his career. He's won the MVP award four times. He's won a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl MVP. He has 223 regular season starts in a Packers uniform under his belt, over 59,000 yards, 475 touchdowns. All of that he has. But Bart Starr, to me, the only Packer quarterback to win two Super Bowls, Bart Starr, to me, while he may not have the numbers of a Brett Favre and an Aaron Rodgers, when you think about guys that were committed to one team for the majority of their career, Bart Starr embodies that. So I feel that he's the greatest Packer of all time. Now, Aaron is in the discussion. Nobody's going to knock that, but I don't believe that he's the greatest Packer of all time. Before we move on, I want to leave you with one final quote that Aaron gave in the interview. And I quote, the facts are they want to move on. And now so do I. Basically, end quote, by the way, basically. That goes back to what we talked about at the top of this topic. This was a marriage that was heading for divorce court when the Packers decided to draft Jordan Love. And the Packers over the past few months have made it verbally clear that they are in the market of seeing what Jordan Love can do for them in the future. So by them saying that, that implies that their days of catering to Aaron Rodgers' every demands are over. And now they're ready to move on. Aaron Rodgers is ready to move on. The only thing that we're waiting for now is the compensation package between the Packers and the Jets to become finalized. And when that finally comes to fruition, Aaron Rodgers will get his wish of being out of Green Bay and the Packers will get their wish of not only being done with Aaron Rodgers and all of his BS, but they can finally see for the, an entirety of a season what Jordan Love can do as quarterback number one for their team. All right. So let's move on from Aaron Rodgers. Let's talk a little NBA news. And on Wednesday, the NBA finally handed down a suspension in the case of John Morant. So the league announced on Wednesday that John Morant will be suspended eight games without pay for quote unquote conduct detrimental to the league. Adam Silver, the commissioner, put out a statement following this news breaking and it goes as follows. And I quote, Jaws conduct was irresponsible, reckless, and potentially very dangerous. It also had serious consequences given his enormous following and influence, particularly among young fans who look up to him. He has expressed sincere contrition and remorse for his behavior. Ja has made it clear to me that he has learned from this incident and that he understands his obligations and responsibility to the Memphis Grizzlies and the broader NBA community extend well beyond his play on the court, end quote. So what do I make of this news? I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I think everything that has been said about John Morant has already been said. So I'm not going to continue to exacerbate the point any further. John Morant 
I wholeheartedly believe has learned his lesson from this incident. And a lot of us can go back and forth and debate what were his motives as far as it pertained to him learning his lessons. Was it because of the financial hit he took or was it because of the reputational hit that it took? John Morant right now is in Florida seeking counseling or he's in counseling, I should say. So John Morant is taking the necessary steps to deal with his problems in a much more mature way. Listen. When the incident first broke out and we came on the pod and I talked about it. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I said then that it's time for John Morant to surround himself by people who won't always tell him what he wants to hear, but also tells him everything that he doesn't want to hear. Things that will make him a better man and basketball player. And I also said to myself at that point, I don't remember if I said it on pod or not. I said then, too, that John Morant has to understand that there are so many young children out on the basketball court that wants to be him, that plays the game just like him. And those young fans, every time they now look up and see John Morant, there's always going to be that stain on his image. But it's up to him. At the end of the day, we can sit and talk all day long until the cows come home. But it's up to John Morant to really put the work in, the necessary work, I might add, the necessary work to become a better man. And I feel like this counseling experience down in Florida is a great start for him. He also needs the support of his family and those friends that still remain around him that are actually in his corner for his betterment and not just because he's supplying them with financial security. So I think that the eight game suspension, we can differ on whether or not we feel it was severe enough. But I think that that was the NBA just saying to themselves, he's already taken the necessary steps to show that he's trying to get on the right path. So given the eight game suspension, he's already served what is it? Four or five games of the suspension. So he's eligible to come back on the 25th against the Dallas Mavericks. But Taylor Jenkins, the head coach of the Grizzlies, has said that John Morant will not be back in time for that because he hasn't been able to play basketball since he's been in counseling in Florida. So the league decided to hand down a suspension. Ja has decided to enter counseling so that he can become a better person so that he can better manage his stress and things of that nature so I think everyone is taking steps in the right direction for this situation to finally 
be put in the back burner or in the back mirror so John Morant, by the time he comes back, he can be a better person, if you want to put it that way. He did an interview a few days ago with Jalen Rose where he pretty much said that the gun incident in the club was not who he is, and he wants to show people that that wasn't who he was. So Ja has a lot of people that he let down, and when he comes back, all of those people will want to see the new and improved Ja Morant. All right. So speaking of new and improved, let's go down to Tampa Bay and let's talk a little Baker Mayfield very quickly. Baker Mayfield, it was announced earlier this week, has signed a one-year deal worth $8.5 million to become the next quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, a lot of people have voiced their frustrations with this move because a lot of people feel that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are taking a step back instead of a step forward in this post-Tom Brady era that they find themselves in right now. Listen, if the Buccaneers did not sign Baker Mayfield, their only quarterback who would have been on the roster would have been Kyle Trask. I've watched enough of Kyle Trask when he was at the University of Florida under Dan Mullen to know that he's a good quarterback, but do you truly trust him to lead your team for 17 games in a season? Now, let me add something to that comment because I know some of you are going to listen to that and say, well, if you don't believe he can lead a team, why draft him? I think that this is another opportunity for two things to be true. Kyle Trask can sit and continue to learn and Baker Mayfield potentially could go down to Tampa Bay with what they have remaining from that Super Bowl roster. He can continue his career resurrection, so to speak. Now, a lot of people has soured on Baker Mayfield during his days with the Cleveland Browns. But if you were to ask me, who would I rather have for the entirety of a season? Would I rather have Carson Wentz or Baker Mayfield? Honestly, at this point, I would say Baker Mayfield. Because one of the things that's true about Baker is that Baker didn't have the expectations heaped upon him when he became a member of the LA Rams. Now, when Carson Wentz went to the Indianapolis Colts, all of the expectations were heaped upon him because a lot of people thought that the quarterback position was the missing piece to the puzzle that could get the Colts back into relevancy as it pertains to the AFC playoffs. And then when that didn't happen, when he couldn't beat the Raiders or the Jacksonville Jaguars, he was shipped to Washington. And we all remember what happened in his lone season in our nation's capital. Whereas Baker, the only place that he's truly ever fell on his ass was in Cleveland. The Rams thing boosted his stock, and that's what allowed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to come in and say, you know what, we'll give you a one-year prove-it deal. And if he goes down there in Tampa Bay and lights up that division, which isn't a great division by anyone's standard, but if Baker Mayfield goes down there, lights up that division, and this is a shot to the moon but if Baker Mayfield can get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the playoffs especially if the Buccaneers can win the division title in the NFC South especially with the moves that the Saints have made with whatever the Panthers are about to do next month with that number one overall pick and with what Atlanta has been able to do that says a lot about Baker Mayfield and the maturity level that he happens to be at now compared to his days as a Cleveland Brown 
a lot of people won't have high expectations for this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. And if you go back and listen to our 100th episode here on Sports Court, I didn't have high expectations for the Buccaneers heading into this season myself because I disagreed with Todd Bowles firing certain assistant coaches. And I even said that this team is entering a rebuild when they really don't have to. But there are some casualties involved with building a Super Bowl team full of veterans who want to still make money after winning the Super Bowl. And the Buccaneers fell victim to that, just like the Rams have. So, Baker Mayfield is a nice piece to the puzzle at the quarterback position, but I still feel that there's going to be a point in time where that front office, Jason Light, the GM, will want to see a return on investment from Kyle Trask. So, I'm not trying to say that Baker Mayfield is going to finish his career in Tampa Bay, but for right now, I feel that he would be a nice, solid quarterback piece, especially with the uncertainty that happens to persist in the NFC South heading into the 2023 campaign. So there you go with Baker Mayfield now in the NFC South as a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, due in large part to what he did in those final few games in Los Angeles after taking over for Matthew Stafford, who was dealing with injury. All right. Let's stay in the deep south and let's shift to the college game. And let's talk about a story that we discussed last month. So I'm pretty sure by now we've all heard about Jalen Carter and what happened that night on the streets of Athens, Georgia, following their national championship parade. I came on this podcast when it was announced that some charges had been filed against Jalen Carter and i I basically said that there is a question that has to be asked and answered. And that question was at the time, has Kirby Smart lost control of this program? And I think I even took the liberty of answering that question. And I even said to myself that at some point you have to assume that Kirby has lost control of this program because in the past year, nine Georgia football players have been arrested for something, whether it's DUI, public intoxication, whatever. Nine Georgia football players have been arrested for various reasons. So the Georgia Bulldogs opened their first day of spring football practice on Tuesday. And of course, the obvious question that was asked to head coach Kirby Smart was, has he lost control of his program? And this is what he had to say. And I quote, there is no lack of control for our program. Our guys do make mistakes. That historically is probably going to happen when you have 18 to 22 year olds. Our job as coaches is to prevent that from happening. And that starts with me and you do it how you educate your players and how you discipline your players. And we'll continue to do that at a high standard, end quote. How do we feel about Kirby Smart's comments? For me, I think he's sincere, but I also think it's partially a dismissal. Listen, when you're winning, we ignore all of the outside things. As long as Georgia continues to win national championships, everything else that happens outside of that program that doesn't involve them winning a national championship gets swept under the rug. Because I'll tell it to you like this. If Georgia was still the same program that they were in those last few years under Mark Richt, where they couldn't even win the SEC East, we would be talking about them focusing more on 
their criminal activity than them focusing on winning football games on the field. And I understand that Kirby Smart saying that it starts with him and they're going to continue to educate their guys and do everything that they need to do to keep them out of trouble and they do it at a high standard. I understand that. I get all of that. But the thing is with a lot of these college coaches is that they prioritize winning more than they prioritize the guys that are doing the winning for them. And I'll say this. We talked about this after Jalen Carter was indicted or the charges were brought against him. He had to leave the combine to come back to Athens to face a judge. We talked about it. And I said then that if Kirby Smart isn't focused on trying to keep these guys out of trouble, then at some point you would have to start thinking to yourself, is he in a, in a sense prompting these guys to get in trouble? I know that that sounds a little bit vague, but what I meant at the time was you can't go and tell the media that you haven't lost control of your program, but yet the facts and the statistics tell us that nine of your guys have been arrested for something. If that's not a lack of control, then what is it? Because the majority of these guys, after the national championship concluded, the majority of these guys declared for the NFL draft. So they're no longer University of Georgia football players. They just happen to be students who attend the university. But still, we remember them from their days at Sanford Stadium between the hedges. I'll say this, and a lot of people will not agree with this, but just bear with me. If this was taking place in Tuscaloosa, Alabama with Nick Saban, and if nine of his players were arrested for something, we would be questioning Nick Saban and what the hell is happening to this program. But because Georgia has won back-to-back national championships and have an opportunity to go back-to-back-to-back with their national championships, it seemed like no one wants to truly question, has Kirby Smart lost control of this program? Winning will make you forget about the small things that are taking place behind the scenes. And Kirby has to do a better job of making sure that his players stay far away from anything that can inflict them with some kind of trouble as possible. Now, you can't control their lives outside of the facility. I get that. Because we have saw what that means, especially with what took place over in Tuscaloosa with Darius Miles and that situation. You can't control what these players do away from the facility, but you can continue to help steer them in the right direction. Now, I understand that Georgia is slowly but surely turning into a dynasty, but you don't want to turn into a dynasty in one instance and on the other hand, turn into a dynasty that's always going to have these question marks surrounding you because your players can't stay away from trouble. So that's all I have to say about that. I also want to touch on this very quickly. Jalen Carter was at Georgia's Pro Day on Wednesday. And he was reportedly nine pounds heavier than what he was at the Combine. And he suffered from cramps and couldn't finish his workouts. Bad enough that his draft stock has tumbled due to the circumstances unfolding from that car accident that morning in Athens 
following the parade, but now he's heavier and his he hasn't been able to finish drills. That will make a lot of teams look at him and say, well, what have you been doing? Have you been working out, conditioning, getting yourself in shape for this pro day? Because what a lot of players, must, well, I'm, I'm not a college player, but what a lot of people fail to realize about pro day is that everything is tailored to you at your pro day. It's not like the combine where it's held in a neutral location. At your pro day, it's at your school. You have all of the optics in your favor. And yet Jalen Carter shows up, he's out of shape, and can't even finish his drills. That will make his draft stock tumble even further. Potentially, Jalen Carter, a lot of people won't agree with this, but Jalen Carter potentially is playing himself out of the first round of the draft. Now, he may still go in the teens or in the 20s, but everything that has come out about him these past few weeks, it makes it hard for me to believe that a team will still take him in the top five of the draft. And one final note about Jalen Carter before we move on. In the case in which the car accident was involved, he received a year of probation and he was fined. So basically, if it was you and I, we would have had vehicular manslaughter. We would have went to trial. But we know that there's two justice systems that are prevalent in today's society, one for you and I and one for the rich and famous and the powerful. So welcome to America, right? All right. There was a story. Let's switch gears from college football back to the NBA. There was a story that started to trend yesterday. And the first person that broke the story was Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. So according to him, sources have told him that Michael Jordan is in serious talks to sell the Charlotte Hornets. Okay. Before I dive into my thoughts about this news, let me first start off by saying that, yes, I understand that Michael Jordan to some is the greatest basketball player ever. I understand that he won six NBA championships by virtue of doing two three-peats. I understand that Michael Jordan redefined the way we look at basketball today. And yes, I understand that Michael Jordan has one of the most popular shoes throughout the world. I understand all of that. But let's be realistic about something. If you remember, a few months ago, we did a final verdict in which I talked about Charles Barkley going on Taylor Rook's podcast on Bleacher Report. And he basically said that he and Michael Jordan haven't talked in nearly 10 years because Charles Barkley was critical of the way in which Michael Jordan was handling his business owning the Charlotte Hornets. A lot of people said at the time that Charles Barkley's comments were out of line because he and MJ were friends. But Charles Barkley also said that he had to keep it real and basically say that some of the decisions that Michael Jordan was making during his time owning the Charlotte Hornets were hurting the team instead of helping the team. And he said that he and Mike haven't spoken in 10 years. He would love to put that in the past. They go play golf together. If you remember that final verdict that day, we discussed that. And lo and behold, it's finally starting to come to fruition a little bit. Listen, Michael Jordan is one of the greatest basketball players ever. But that doesn't unilaterally, unilaterally mean that that in turn would make him a great owner slash GM. 
if anybody that's listening to my voice right now is old enough to remember Michael Jordan during his days of being the player and GM of the Washington Wizards, we should have saw this coming in the event that he ever decided to take part in owning an NBA basketball team. Michael Jordan, we know, based on the years in which he's been in charge of the Hornets and when it comes time to draft, outside of LaMelo Ball, Michael Jordan isn't really that great when it comes to scouting and selecting talent. That's been the one knock on him even during his days as the GM of the Washington Wizards. That's always been the knock on him. Now, what does this move mean? Because I've been hearing so many different stories about what Michael Jordan potentially selling the Hornets means for not only himself, but what it means for the team. Once again, we need to go back and have this conversation like we had earlier when we were talking about Aaron Rodgers. Basically, it's time for both sides to have a fresh start. Michael Jordan, in a way, has worn out the warm reception that he would get from that Charlotte community based on some of the decisions that he's made during his time owning the team. And secondly, it's time for the Charlotte Hornets to go under new leadership so that they can better equip their team for the future. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Michael Jordan is not that great of a... Michael Jordan is not that great of an executive. That doesn't take away anything he did on the court. But it's factual that Michael Jordan has set the Charlotte Hornets back instead of moved them forward. So to me, when I saw this news break yesterday, when it was reported at the time of him buying the team that he only bought it for $275 million, I said to myself that the day he decides to sell this team, he's going to get a pretty penny for this team. And he may still get a nice chunk of money when it comes time to sell the team, but everything that has happened since he's owned this team has shown you all of the reasons why great players usually don't turn into great GMs and owners. Now, the one exception to this rule would happen to be Jerry West. Because Jerry West, during his time as GM of the Lakers, he went on to be the GM with the Clippers, and I think he was even involved in an advisory role with the Golden State Warriors. Jerry West has an eye for talent. Jerry West also orchestrated the deal in 1996 to get Kobe from the Bobcats, Hornets, whatever, the team in Charlotte, and get him out to L.A. to be a Laker. Jerry West has the eye for talent. 
Now, Mike, on the other hand, has never really shown a keen eye for being able to select talent. Now, there are other business ventures that I'm pretty sure he has out there. He has his 2311 racing team that he co-owns with Denny Hamlin. Bubba Wallace is the driver for that team. We already know about his deal with Jordan. So Michael Jordan isn't hurting for money, but I feel like he understands the writing on the wall that maybe it's time for him to sell the team, give it to somebody else, and then they can further enhance the team and take them into the future and they can become viable contenders, not in the draft lottery, but in the NBA playoffs as a whole. So that's my little spiel about Michael Jordan. Once again, I know he has six NBA championships. I know that he has the all-time great moniker labeled upon him by people that believe that I understand all of the career accolades that he happens to possess. But when it comes to owning a team, he's not really been great doing that. In 13 years of owning the Charlotte Hornets, the team has only made the playoffs three times. And all three of those times have never manifested into anything of importance, significant importance, I should have said. So Michael Jordan thinking about potentially selling the Hornets. All right, let's stick in the NBA and let's shift gears to the team that Michael Jordan called home for the first portion of his NF NBA career. <laughs> Not in the NFL. We saw Jordan play baseball. We know how that went. So I can't possibly imagine what he would have done in the NFL anyway let's shift gears and let's talk about the team that he called home for the first half of his career the Chicago Bulls so it was announced by the Bulls on yesterday that Lonzo Ball will undergo his third surgery on his left knee and according to reports from Shams of the Athletic this surgery will more than likely require Lonzo to miss most, if not all, of the 2023-2024 campaign. When I think of Lonzo Ball, I think of a guy that had immense pressure heaped upon him by his father when he was at UCLA, and then when he came into the league as a Los Angeles Laker. And the thing about Lonzo is that with all of that pressure came expectations. Playing in the purple and gold didn't exactly pan out the way a lot of Lakers fans would have thought. So he was traded to the New Orleans Pelicans, played decent down with the New Orleans Pelicans. That didn't work out. And now he's with the Chicago Bulls. Lonzo's career will be one of those careers, I believe, when it's all said and done, that will go down as the biggest what if story ever. Now, I know that I've told you about our brand new what if segment here on Sports Court and potentially in the future, we may have an episode involving one Lonzo Ball, but I'll say this. When people think about Lonzo's career a year or two from now, there will be two conversations that people will have. One conversation will go as follows. If Lonzo Ball didn't get hurt, how great of a player would he have been? The second conversation will go, Lonzo Ball was never a great player. His father just hyped him up more than he should have. You know those two conversations are the two most likely conversations that will be had in the future when we're talking about the career of Lonzo Ball. I would happen to fall in the middle because LeVar Ball, their father, had a mission. And his mission was to get all three of his sons in the NBA. 
And his other mission was to get all three of them to play on the same team. If we take a look at all three of them and we ask ourselves which one of them turned out the best, I think everybody will universally say that LaMelo turned out to be the best ball brother. And even he's dealing with injury. Now, we all understand what happened to LiAngelo when he was at UCLA, went over to China. We all understood that. And Lonzo is dealing with injury, and he has been traded three times, potentially upcoming if Chicago decides to part ways with him. He would have been traded three times in his very short NBA career. Is this a bad look on their father? I would happen to say no. But is this a bad look because of the expectations that he heaped upon them? Yes. Because his expectations drove them to the NBA and it was his expectations that may eventually drive them out of the NBA. Because of the wear and tear, because of the injuries, they're not really guys that can hold up for the long term. And now we think about them as being fragile and they can't stay on the court too long without one of them getting hurt. When Lonzo's on the court, he's pretty productive. But we've rarely seen him on the court these past two years because of the nagging knee injury. It's kind of the same discussion that we have with Zion. Zion could be this great transcendent player if he could stay on the court healthy. And I think that that's the same conversation in turn that we're having about Lonzo Ball today. Two great basketball players. Hell of a talent, both of them, but they can't stay on the court long enough for us to fully get a true picture of what they can potentially become. And that's the news involving Lonzo Ball up in Chicago. Okay, let's stick with the NBA. We got one more story in the NBA before we move on. I'm pretty sure that a lot of you have been seeing this question pop up. It's a question that we hear a lot of this time of year. And for the past two years, we've had this question answered by one Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets. Who deserves to be the league's MVP? First of all, before I answer that question, let me tell you why I decide to never partake in those conversations. Now, if you've listened to Sports Court in the past, you understand how I feel about the GOAT debate. It's a useless debate because everybody's going to have their pick and chooses over who the GOAT happens to be. One person will say one name, disagree with it, tell you who they like, you disagree, and it starts an entire conversation and argument that we don't even have to have. The MVP discussion happens to fall under that same umbrella. Listen, the way that I've always been able to determine who the MVP of a league happens to be is that you have to ask yourself this basic question. If this guy was taken away from the team that he currently plays on, would this team be better or worse without him on it? Because the three guys who are in the driver's seat of the NBA's MVP discussion, Giannis, Nikola Jokic, and Joel Embiid, you could take that question, put their name in it, and ask it and get an answer. Will the Milwaukee Bucks still be the same team if Giannis was not on the team? Would the Denver Nuggets still be a great team without Nikola Jokic? Would the Philadelphia 76ers still be a great team without Joel Embiid? Because each one of those guys brings something unique to their respective team. And Jason Tatum and John Morant, I saw the odds the other day. Both of those guys are in the 
MVP discussion as well. I think now the question about Jason Tatum and listen, I love Jason Tatum, phenomenal talent, but I think that you could take Jason Tatum away from the Boston Celtics and still be fine with those role guys on the floor every night with Jalen Brown. Because there are some nights that Jalen Brown takes over the game and you forget that Jason Tatum even scored 20 because Jalen Brown may have scored 42, 44. Hell, sometimes he even gets close to 50. But those other three guys that we've discussed, their teams very much needs them and not only just needs them, but needs them to have big nights every time they step out there on the floor. The conversation that we always have about the Philadelphia 76ers is that they are a great regular season team, but things have never really added up when it comes time to play in the postseason. The same thing happens with Nikola Jokic with the Nuggets. Every time we think about Nikola Jokic, we think about him dominating the regular season. But when he gets to the playoffs, it feels like the Nuggets always fall short of their goals year in and year out with Mike Malone as their head coach. And Giannis... Out of all three of those guys, he's the most established because he has an NBA title and many people hold him in high regards as being the best big man in the NBA. Although you can say he's not a center, but he kind of has center qualities. So to answer the question before we move on, this is going to be a very brief discussion. Who should the MVP of the NBA this season be? And the answer to that question is, to be honest with you, I could care less. The only reason why I decided to put this in the show today was because I wanted to show you my criteria as it pertains to deciding who the MVP of the league should be. You can apply this to every league that you can. MLB, the NFL, hockey, any league that you want to think, MLS, the WNBA, any league that you want to use that criteria and that metric for, it applies the exact same way. Because let's think about the NFL. The MVP of the past NFL season was Patrick Mahomes. I'll ask you this question, and you're going to laugh at it when you hear it. If the Kansas City Chiefs did not have Patrick Mahomes, would they still be the same team? Now, Chad Henney is a very capable backup, although he's retired since they won the Super Bowl. But when Chad Henney was Patrick Mahomes' backup, they were still winning games when he was asked to step in and fill the void for Patrick Mahomes, most notably and most recently in that playoff game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But you said to yourself that Chad Henney can step in and fill the void because the playmakers around Patrick Mahomes, in some shape, form, or fashion, makes him who he happens to be. And plus, when you throw in Patrick Mahomes' his raw talent anyway, all of that combined is why a lot of people look at Mahomes as the gold standard for the quarterback position in the NFL. But let's shift back to the NBA. If Jokic wins his third straight MVP award, you're going to have some people that feels that Antetokounmpo and Embiid have been slighted, and then you're going to have those Nuggets fans saying to themselves, see, that's the reason why we have the best big man in the NBA. Numbers don't lie, but your eye test, when you watch them play night in and night out, your eyes also don't lie either. So you need to use those factors in determining for yourself who you would pick to be the NBA MVP if you are allowed to vote on that. Because I tell you what, 
If the fans were allowed to vote on this instead of sports writers and other people in the media, you would have, in my opinion, a more fair and accurate vote. But because you have sports writers and media members voting on the MVP award, it doesn't make it, in my opinion, a very fair vote, especially when the majority of your beat writers and reporters are in the eastern part of the country and western portion, and they're not in the Midwest and in the South. So that's always been my one knock when it pertains to letting media members vote on certain high caliber awards in whatever sport it may be. All right. I know that I said that that was going to be our last NBA story, but there's one other story that I want to bring to your attention. And this story involves Kevin Durant and Charles Barkley, who we just talked about moments ago when we talked about Michael Jordan and his potential selling of the Charlotte Hornets. So here's a little bit of a backstory before I get into some comments that Kevin Durant made about Sir Charles. So Charles Barkley, as a lot of you may well know, happens to be one of the leading analysts on the NBA on TNT, along with Kenny DeJet Smith, Ernie Johnson, and Shaquille O'Neal. One of the best sports shows, in my opinion. But anyway, that's not to hear nor there. Charles Barkley has been very critical of Kevin Durant joining the Golden State Warriors and pretty much latching on to their coattails to win two NBA titles. And basically, Charles Barkley has insinuated Kevin Durant's decision to join the Golden State Warriors as Kevin Durant being a bus rider and not the driver. Basically, what that means is, is that Kevin Durant would much rather just take a seat on the bus and let someone else guide him to the title instead of taking the wheel, guiding his own led team to the finals and winning it that way. Now, we all know that Kevin Durant doesn't take too kindly to people calling him out, especially people who happens to be in the media or people that have that clout and that respect, so to speak, behind their names. So Kevin Durant was on a podcast, his podcast, the ETC. And this is what he had to say about Charles Barkley and his opinion about Kevin Durant's career so far. And I quote, he's an effing legend that I got nothing but respect for. And when I look up, I'm going to play with pride knowing that he put blood, sweat, and tears into this organization. That ain't got nothing to do with how he is as an analyst, though. I don't agree with how he approaches the game as a Hall of Famer. His game as an analyst. I don't really F with your approach. That's my opinion on you. Just like your opinion on us. End quote. Basically, what Kevin Durant is insinuating is that Sir Charles is very opinionated about certain players and teams. And (laughs) I laugh at that because once again, let's go back in time to one of our previous episodes of Sports Court. I made a final verdict in which I talked about the majority of sports media today is so opinionated that you can't really decipher any true information from them because the majority of their opinions have already been preformed before they even got the news that they have to report on. So I chuckle at that because finally 
Now the players in these respective sports are starting to wake up to the fact that the majority of these sports analysts and some of these sports people on television or in radio, they are so opinionated that when you listen to them, it's almost like, why am I here? What am I listening to? I already know how they feel about me. That's the same thing that we talked about at the top of the show today when I talked about Aaron Rodgers. So the thing is about Kevin Durant is that when it's all said and done, Kevin Durant is going to retire as one of the greatest basketball players in his generation for sure, but potentially as one of the greatest basketball players that has ever stepped foot on an NBA court, period. But there's always going to be that discussion that has to be had about his career and about the majority of these guys in today's NBA. The majority of these guys had to join other teams to win championships. They could never do it alone. That's the reason why Dame Lillard went on J.J. Reddick's podcast and said what he said about the league today. We talked about that on Wednesday's episode of the pod as well. But there is some validity to what Charles Barkley has said about Kevin Durant's career. And every time I listen to Charles Barkley talk about Kevin Durant and talk about these guys today, the only thing that I would have to say is, is that Charles Barkley believes that Kevin Durant is too great of a basketball player to not have won an NBA title on his own, leading his own team. Now, the Oklahoma City thing, they made it to the NBA Finals against the Miami Heat. We all remember what happened there. And we also remember this Brooklyn Nets experiment. It didn't work out the way a lot of people thought that it would. And that's the reason why now Kevin Durant is a member of the Suns. James Harden is a member of the 76ers. And Kyrie Irving is a member of the Dallas Mavericks. It didn't work out the way a lot of us would have hoped that it was going to work out. Because that was one of the brand new super teams that had taken the NBA world by storm. But they never truly got an opportunity to play with each other because of injuries, Kyrie Irving's situation with the vaccine, etc. On and on and on. I feel that Kevin Durant is capable of winning another title. But even if the Phoenix Suns go all the way to the NBA title and win it, there's always going to be that chorus of people that say to themselves, well, of course, Kevin Durant could have won a title in Phoenix because they already had a pre-established roster that had made it to the finals just two seasons ago. So it's not like Kevin Durant came to Phoenix and did anything special while his scoring does add something to the team and it takes the load off of Devin Booker but this is just Kevin Durant wanting to load up the cupboard with championship rings that he really didn't have to work hard for on his own to obtain that's the conversation that a lot of people will have when Kevin Durant retires and if the Phoenix Suns win the championship during his time out there in the desert for me the media has become very opinionated and A lot of this sports debate that takes place now on television is not really debate anymore. It's about whose hatred for whom outlasts their co-host hatred of someone else. That's the reason why a lot of people are starting to shift away from regular sports talk. Because you and I could sit down in the barbershop and have a more well-rounded conversation about the hottest topics in sports media today than the majority of these guys that are paid millions to do the exact same thing, just with more research, more analytics, and more time to really sit down and prep what they're about to say. 
That's what's so great about being able to just debate anybody in public on the fly, because you really understand then who really watches the game, who's really invested in the particular sport and who really understands the everyday ebbs and flows about the leagues. Whereas you have these guys on television, they're plugged in based on sources, whoever they talk to at their respective networks. It makes it feel like today's sports media isn't as wholesome as it once used to be a long time ago. So I understand with I understand Kevin Durant's point about that. But I also understand Charles Barkley referring to him as a bus rider instead of the driver, because for the majority of Kevin Durant's career, when he's won the NBA championship, he's been a very focal part of the team, but he's already been, he's been on a team that already has finals DNA running through their blood. So I can understand both sides of this argument, but I would have to give the slight edge to Charles Barkley because his job in sports media is to give opinions about things that he sees happening in the league. Now, there are some other guys in sports media, we don't have to call their names, but there's also some other guys in sports media that every time you turn on the channel that they happen to be on, you say to themselves or you say to yourself, all right, let me put it on mute because I already know what they're about to say. So I understand both guys' point of perspective, but Kevin Durant's career has been very, very bus rider like if that makes sense now if Kevin Durant were to go somewhere else start the team from scratch and he wins the NBA title I think that that will erase some of that bus rider mentality that people happens to have about him but as far as a lot of people are concerned Kevin Durant's career has already been solidified as a guy that has to go join an already stacked team to win an NBA title All right, let's go to a team that isn't so stacked to when it comes to winning a title. Let's go back to the NFL and let's talk about the Washington Commanders. So when the Commanders decided to release Carson Wentz, it was very widely assumed that the Commanders would go into the 2023 campaign with second-year quarterback Sam Howell leading the way. That was dashed very quickly on yesterday when it was announced that the commanders were going to sign Jacoby Brissett to a one-year deal. Now, what does Jacoby Brissett bring to the Washington commanders? Well, obviously, to get the long story out of the way, he brings a capable veteran quarterback into the rotation that can fully grasp Eric Bieniemy's offense because one of the things that we talked about upon learning that Eric Bieniemy was going to become the new offensive coordinator up there was that now he's going to have an opportunity to use his offense to really dictate how successful this Washington Commanders team will be in 2023. So that's number one. And secondly, it also gives Sam Howell more of an opportunity to learn. The same thing that's taking place down in Tampa Bay right now with Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask is the exact same thing that's taking effect right now in our nation's capital. You want to give Sam Howell enough adequate time to learn the offense so when his number is called to step in full time and lead that Washington offense, he will be ready. This is something that we've always talked about, and this is the reason why I decided to put this in the show today. A lot of teams fall victim to giving up on a quarterback too early. The Jets, a lot of people will have you believe, 
are giving up on Zach Wilson too early. While that's also the case, a lot of these quarterbacks show very early on that even when they have a full offseason of learning the playbook, they're still not ready. Now, there are also some other quarterbacks that come into the NFL that it doesn't matter how much prep time you give them, they just don't learn the offense well enough, and it seems like they go out there and they're just willing and dealing, just hoping out of the sky that something happens. I think that this is a very smart move by the Washington Commanders because it gives your team time to get Sam Howell ready for the day in which he steps in and takes over this team full time. Now, a lot of people, when you think of Sam Howell, you think about week 17 or week 18, this NFL schedule thing. You think about week 18 when the Cowboys went up to Washington and they needed to win the game to keep the pressure on Philadelphia. And Sam Howell and the Washington Commanders go out there and do things to the Dallas Cowboys that I think made Jerry Jones look at himself and say, maybe it's time for me to give this damn team up. And we all remember what happened to the Cowboys when they got to the playoffs. We don't really have to rehash that story. It also says something about the direction of this team heading into 2023 as well when it pertains to the head coaching position. Listen, I've been one of the few people that have talked about Ron Rivera's job security. If this team takes another step back in 2023, I think that there will be calls that will grow more and more and more louder as the weeks go by for Ron Rivera to be relieved of his duties and fired. Because now you have somebody in the fold on your coaching staff that everybody already wants to become an NFL head coach anyway. So if Rivera's fired and you put Eric Bieniemy into the fold as head coach, then you basically will kill two birds with one stone. So I'm pretty sure that Ron Rivera understands the pressure, the immense pressure, I might add, that is placed on him to succeed in this 2023 campaign. So if I were to give the move of Jacoby Brissett signing with the commanders a rating from one to 10, I would have to give it a five. I give a lot of things fives because while we have some questions answered, we don't have every question answered. And there's still some things that I would love to see from Jacoby Brissett in this Washington system to see, is he truly capable of leading this team in 2023 so that they can get Sam Howell ready for the future and beyond. So, the Washington Commanders making some moves at that quarterback position. Hopefully it works out for them because the Cowboys and the Eagles and the Giants are slowly but surely starting to make moves to vault themselves into the discussion of who will take this division next season. We're going to discuss that when we get into the summer when we do our divisional previews. So be on the lookout for that right here on the podcast feed. All right. Let's stick to the NFL before we get in the final verdict today. You know, before we talk about the Cardinals, what I mentioned at the top of the show today about my bracket, there is no way that I ever envisioned Virginia losing this early in the tournament. Now, a lot of the other teams that I picked when I did my bracket, they held up, but I just, Virginia losing and who else lost that was pretty highly ranked. There was another team that I can't think of right now that was pretty highly ranked. They lost. And I just said to myself, this is what I love about March Madness. It doesn't matter how lowly ranked your team happens to be. 
any given day they can go into an arena and shock the best of the best in the country. That's what you have to love about March Madness. Okay, so now that I got that out of the way, and I bet you by the time I put this episode up on the podcast feed, I'll remember the team that I'm talking about. So I may leave it down in the show notes. So if I leave it down there, just know that I came up and remembered the team that I was referring to. All right. So let's go back to a few weeks ago. Philadelphia Eagles lose the Super Bowl to the Kansas City Chiefs. And a few hours after that, it was announced that Shane Steichen would become the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And it was then announced that Jonathan Gannon would become the new head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Now, I don't want to too much worry about what's going on in Indianapolis because they have a high draft pick and I'm pretty sure that they're going to go out and attack some of their needs in free agency and in the draft. The Cardinals are the team that's surprising to me because if I remember it correctly, when Jonathan Gannon was introduced to the Arizona media market, he basically implied that it was a new day in Arizona and they would do things vastly different than the former regime. That's not his exact quote, but it bordered along those lines. And there hasn't really been one big splash that the Cardinals have made in this free agency period. So I'm pretty sure you know where I'm about to go with this. The Arizona Cardinals has been the most disappointing team so far in free agency, especially when you take into account where they were a season ago. This is a team that needs to make a big splash in free agency and by vice versa in the draft to make sure that this team isn't falling by the wayside. Now, I will say this. The one big move that the Arizona Cardinals made was not retaining a player, but by letting a player get away. Byron Murphy, their safety, corner safety, pretty much defensive back. I should have said that. He's going up to the the Minnesota Vikings. They ought to change their name to Minneapolis Vikings, but that's too long to say in a sentence. The Minnesota Vikings is where Byron Murphy will be going, and he will be right alongside Harrison Smith, who they were able to retain. Byron Murphy, as I'm pretty sure a lot of you may well know, came from Washington and played pretty well during his first few years down in the desert. So just wanted to quickly touch on that. The Arizona Cardinals so far if we really were to give an account of who has been the most disappointing team in NFL free agency, I would have to give a big fat approval sticker to the Arizona Cardinals because they have disappointed mightily in free agency. I don't know what Jonathan Gannon has going on out there. I don't even know where they're going as far as offensive coordinator is concerned. I'm not even sure if they've hired an OC yet. So another day out in Arizona may as well become a, a soap opera. Days of our lives, they already have that. So you could throw that in and say days of our lives, Arizona Cardinals edition, because it just seems like they're not really doing anything of note when it pertains to trying to find someone to come in and help them in 2023. All right. Final verdict time on St. Patrick's Day. Let's go ahead and talk about another big story that took the NFL world by storm a few days ago. It wasn't a real big story for me because I felt it coming. Pause. (laughs) Um, But a big story that took the NFL world by storm was the Dallas Cowboys decision to release Ezekiel Elliott after seven seasons. Listen, 
We started this discussion on Wednesday, but it wasn't a real in-depth discussion that I would have liked to have had with you on Wednesday. Because on Wednesday, it was just a story that was developing. Now, as we sit here on Friday, it's a story that we fully understand the ramifications of it. Jerry Jones, when he decided to sign Ezekiel Elliott to that long-term deal after Ezekiel Elliott went down to Cabo, Jerry Jones never truly got a fair return off of investment. And so often we hear that when it pertains to the stock market, real estate, etc. But it happens to be more prevalent in the NFL when these owners go out and sign these players to these massive deals and they don't live up to expectations. Ezekiel Elliott, in a way, and I've always said this, And a lot of people have always backtracked from this, but I still stand by it to this very second. Ezekiel Elliott was a byproduct of his early career expectations. In 2016, when he and Dak Prescott took the NFL world by storm by leading the Dallas Cowboys to a 13-3 record and the number one seed in the NFC playoffs, and Zeke went on to win the rushing title that same year as well, everybody thought that this was going to set the Cowboys on a roller coaster ride through the NFL for years to come. And year by year by year, the team started to regress. Dak started to regress. He started getting injured. Zeke started to regress. He started dealing with off the field issues. He started dealing with other things that took effect with him. Basically, the era of paying running backs in the NFL is a president that has not been set yet because the running back market is a very hard market to forecast. It's basically like the current situation that's going on in the States as it pertains to the housing market. One day the housing market may be booming. The next day it may be down on its luck. That's the exact same way that I feel a lot of NFL owners look when it comes to the running back market. We just saw yesterday, Miles Sanders agreed to a nice, pretty, pretty great deal with the Carolina Panthers. I think it was four years at $24 million. The Carolina Panthers felt like that they needed to make that move. Whereas the Dallas Cowboys felt that we have a great young running back in Tony Pollard, who we haven't even paid yet. And he's going to be able to come in and fill that void that Ezekiel Elliott has left. And a lot of people felt that in 2022, Tony Pollard was the Cowboys main bell cow primary back. Ezekiel Elliott went from being a three down back to just a short yardage back in just seven years. What do you think happened in Kansas City as it pertains to Isaiah Pacheco? Clyde Edwards-Hilaire started the season as the Chiefs number one running back. And then here comes this seventh round pick out of Rutgers by the name of Isaiah Pacheco, who took the Kansas City Chiefs and pretty much put them on his back. And they went to the Super Bowl. He and Patrick Mahomes, by the way. So when it comes to the decision that Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones or whoever else consulted him about this move, when the move was announced that the Dallas Cowboys were parting ways with Ezekiel Elliott, a lot of people were shocked. I'm pretty sure people that you know were shocked. I wasn't. Because Jerry Jones realized that in this world that we live in, everybody wants a return of investment when they put their hard-earned time or money into something. And basically, he looked around and said, Ezekiel Elliott is not giving me the productivity that he once used to and added to that and add insult to injury. We have a younger running back, a fresher running back who he may be he may be coming off an injury in Tony Pollard, but he's still younger 
And in 2022, he was our main running back instead of Ezekiel Elliott. So Jerry Jones did what he felt was in the best interest of his team and in the best interest of the team's financial situation for years to come. So Ezekiel Elliott is going to have an opportunity. As it's all said and done, Ezekiel Elliott is going to have an opportunity to go somewhere else and not only show the Dallas Cowboys, but show the rest of the NFL world that not only was Jerry Jones wrong to cut me, but I still have a lot left in the tank. And I believe that when Ezekiel Elliott finally finds that team, he's going to go to that team, play with a chip on his shoulder and show us why he still can be that running back that Jerry Jones drafted in the 2016 NFL draft. It rarely doesn't happen, but I think Ezekiel Elliott will be on a mission to make sure that his story in the second chapter of his NFL career will be one of the stories that we look back on and say, that deserves some consideration for being comeback player of the year material. And that's going to conclude this episode of Sports Court. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we will be right back here again on Sunday with another brand new episode of What If we're going to discuss the 1992 SEC championship game and what would have happened if the Florida Gators won that game instead of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Until then, enjoy the start of your weekend. Take care and God bless. 